Welcome to the 2S Podcast with Gage and Mike. This is Gage, the philosopher. And this is Mike, the farmer. Welcome back, everybody, to the 2S Podcast. Me and Gage are here again on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon after work. Wonderful (laughs) fall weather. Absolutely. And uh, we figured we'd bring you guys a little bit, kind of a little bit different character than what we... What we have before, and this this is someone that I, I I knew of, but didn't know a whole lot about, and he's pretty fascinating. Absolutely, definitely an important character in time and history regarding everything that was going on in world history, really. <laughs> yeah. So, but I guess uh, we'll go ahead and get started with uh, some quotes here. Uh, mine, as normal, I can never choose, but I did choose one. <laughs> is by Albert Camus. Camus? Yeah, C-A-M-U-S, French. But he's uh, actually pretty much born and raised and spent his life in Algeria, I think. Oh, yeah. I think that was a French colony. Yeah, it was. But anyway, the only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> and that coming from a French uh, French guy <laughs> talking about rebellion. <laughs> yeah, they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it a lot. Well, this quote kind of, in a way, goes along with that, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. But my quote is by General George S. Patton, and it says. If everybody is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. I like that a lot. Kind of like that hive mind. Yeah. And it's funny. I was actually listening to a podcast today. They're talking about um, the psychological experiments of how, how we gather information, decide what to do based off of like community and how that's not necessarily a bad thing, but can be. So like one of the experiments was they, uh, there's like, say 20 people in the room. Everybody was in on the experiment except for one fella. Oh yeah. And they were doing a test in this room for the experiment, but this Mm -hmm. was the experiment and smoke started coming underneath the door and everyone that was in on the experiment kind of just looked and acknowledged and just act like it was fine. No big deal. Mm Hmm. So he did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that kind of goes to prove the point about democracy, why de- a true democracy is dangerous. Yeah. <clears throat> how many people are actually going to just think for themselves? And Yeah. How many are just going to go along with it just because your family is or your friends are? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's important to, you know, it's social status. You want to fit in. And be accepted because it's an important part of living. Mm. But I mean, even when you know something's wrong, it's hard to do otherwise. Well, and you, you think like even from the aspect like General Patton's talking about, you know, you're talking about war. So 
if everybody's, you know, I've, I've never been, I really don't, can't say I've no personal experience or nothing, but you know, if you're in a life threatening situation, there's not, there's never one right answer. You know what I mean? You can do all kinds of different things to, that might work. Some are going to be better than others, of course, but I mean, you just got to kind of put your heads together and come up with the best idea. Yeah. Yeah, do the thing that's most likely to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Which, Unless the government forbids it because it, they consider it an act of brutality, which that kind of ties into one of our topics for later on in this episode. Yeah. And uh, I think a good way to uh, bring this episode in about who it's about is actually from General Patton. He's our main character, if you haven't noticed yeah, by uh the title of the episode or yeah. <laughs> what we've been saying <laughs> yeah but going along with that quote how we were talking about you know people thinking and doing stuff another one of his quotes is a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan next week because then it won't be perfect anymore that's right <laughs> unless you just knew well I think that goes into, I'd imagine part of his thinking there is so much can change so quickly. Mm -hmm. Your perfect plan for right now isn't going to work later on because things are different. It's going to be too late. Yeah, because, I mean, especially when you're dealing with something where the situation is constantly changing. Yeah. And that's, you know, that goes the same for what he was dealing with and just everyday life. Excuse me. I mean, everything's constantly changing. Yeah, like Heraclitus. Who? Heraclitus, um, geniuses of the world, he said, um, no man steps in the same river twice, for it is not the same river, nor he the same man. Oh, I've heard that quote before. Yeah, yeah that's good. But that's kind of a good way to describe, uh, describe Patton. He was very, uh, he was a different character among his time. Well, let's let's start with um, some very basics. The very just real quick, thirty second basics. He was born November eleventh, eighteen eighty five, in California, San Gabriel, Saint Gabriel. Uh, died in forty five, and we'll get to that as the yeah. how. And uh, he was six foot two. I don't know why, but I like to know that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's just because of when. When you think of him, like you think of him as being more of a average height for the time, you know, just you know, a shorter man, not not really short per se, but you know, hard, you know, hardly six foot, you know. It just helps put his image together. He is a he is a tall man. Uh, he came from a fairly wealthy a, family, a, a fairly wealthy family, um, with a huge military background. Yes, and this. Ties into, I don't know, bring it up now. There really is no good point to bring it in. Um, he was a Christian mm-hmm. and fairly devout, actually. Yeah. But he also believed in reincarnation. Yeah. Which I believe that stems between the beliefs of his mother. Because his mother had a little bit different ideology than her, <clears throat> than his dad did. And she believed more in that kind of 
Okay. Kind of stuff rather than how. Well, and, and like that, it's, it's, I think that's more than just a random fun fact because he genuinely believed that in all his past lives, he was a warrior. Yeah. It, and for... at minimum, he may not have been these great generals in the past, but he believed he at least fought under them. Yeah. And like... it was his life and his passion, and he believed God's purpose for him was war. Yeah, because he, he believed he was uh, under was a soldier, a Roman legionary under Julius Caesar. He believed he was a... Uh, and he... They said he could recount in amazing detail the different uh, situations he was in. So, like from past, from past, past lives. lives. Hmm. So they said, like the one that stood out to me was when he was with Napoleon in Russia, supposedly in a past life, and they they said he could recount, you know, everything about you know the winter and everything like that. Pretty amazing, really. And I think this, you know, people say, you know, you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything or be what you want. And that's not 100% true, but it is it is also very true. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with that belief, you know, coming from, you know, fairly wealthy family, military background, already inclined to do it, plus the belief that he's been doing this for thousands of years and past lives. Yeah. And it's his God-given purpose. You're motivated. Oh, 100%. Because uh, one thing that they said moved him a lot was the story of his uh, grandfather. His grandfather served in the American Civil War. On the, which, whether this matters or not, in, on the Confederacy. And they said that he wasn't really supportive of the Confederacy, but he was just supportive. He was just in a way that inspired him for military purpose. Because I guess his dad wasn't military, but his grandfather, and I believe his great-grandfather was. And then, so his his father was not. And then he was, and his son was in the military. But now his grandson is not. Hmm. So. So the. That, that paints a good picture of this man that we're about to go into his kind of history. And he, he, uh, yeah, and starting on his history, he served in the United States Army. <clears throat> and he, I believe he started in the Cavalry. And, you know, back when he first joined the military, it was legit Cavalry. It was horses and fucking swords and guns, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he, I believe it was, he was down there with uh, Black Jack Pershing, who is another good man that we might do an episode about, going after Pancho Villa. Yeah, and this started in New Mexico and Mexico, right? Yeah, and this was right, this was while World War I was going on, so like 1914, 15, 16, somewhere in there, before the U.S. got involved. And this was like his first involvement in battle right in mexico so this is his first hands-on experience Mm -hmm. and he uh that's where now one thing about Patton that i find interesting just because i'm a gun nut he carried pearl or not pearl ivory handled pistols Mm -hmm. and there's a quote that he said about pearl somebody asked him if they were pearls 
And he said, pearl handles are for pimps and prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> these and are... honestly, that probably was a correct stereotype. And he, he said, these are ivory. <laughs> I don't know guns very well. But I heard one of the guns he used to carry first was a 1911. But it went off accidentally in a bar. And then he started carrying. Yeah, the revolvers. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard that story, but yeah, in 1911, he would have carried because that was a standard issue at the time. So, but I believe officers at the time were allowed to carry their own pistol. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they still are, but at the time, I believe they were. So, he was just, that kind of gives you his character. And he actually, how he actually wasn't as rough and tumble as he was. He is actually kind of a persona he did. Yeah. And he learned that when he was down there uh, going after Poncho Villa, he came across a marshal who acted in a similar way and had ivory gripped pistols. Hmm. Inspiration. And that's where he got, he's like, because he was, a he's, I can't remember exact words that he's, he said, but something along the lines, because that was a man that could lead them. His men respected him. They didn't fear him, but they respected him and he could make shit happen. Oh, and that was one of the things that, <clears throat> from my reading and listening and that, that you read and hear everything you pull up is, uh, he led by example and he was with his men and his people. He wasn't just behind a desk, so to speak, and in the background telling people what to do, but he did it with them and he was hands on. Well, yeah, because he, when he, uh, First, uh, in World War One, when he went over to Europe to fight, he was actually in charge of the the American tank division over there, and he was, a, I believe, a corporal at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. And he went and uh, actually, he was so dedicated to everything. He would go on the front line. He was actually injured, pretty not yeah. not mortally, but he was fucked up pretty good. And he uh. And but that's where men started learning respect for him, and he would uh, he would do that a lot in uh, World War II, which is where he's mainly known because he would go out and he would visit the front lines while they were getting fucking shot at to pieces. You know, he'd go up there and rally his men, and he had, there's a he said something along the lines of. You got to know when to show up when, you know, the, the fighting's in its thickest and you got to know when to not show up because it was all like a finely orchestrated play. He said, cause if you showed up only when things were going good, he said they would just think you're taking credit. Yeah. But if you always that. showed up when shit was going South, you had an increased risk of dying which a general dead is no good mm -hmm. you know so that's how he got the repu his reputation and one of his nicknames was old blood and guts mm -hmm. and he was just and his men gave him that name that wasn't like a self-proclaimed name and a lot of the men that served under him you can find interviews they said that they serving under Patton almost like invigorated them. 
They're like, you're serving under Patton. Like, you fucking... Well, and this is skipping ahead a bit, so I won't go into detail, but I know even Hitler himself respected him. Oh, the, the entire German military respected him. Mm-hmm. Because he was America's most aggressive general. And going into that a little bit, he had a tactic they used, and the soldiers in him called it bypass and haul ass. And what they would do is if they ran into too stout a resistance, they would just go around them. And this was when he was in France. There's more, we'll talk more about earlier stuff too. But when he was in in France, if they ran into too stiff resistance, they would just go around them. And as the rest of the army came up behind, they would take care of it. So his plan was what? Just to get to the destination? Get to Berlin. And we'll get into that later on. Yeah, because that's a whole can of worms there. But in World War One, from what I understood, he was pretty much the man for tank warfare, and they were described as like mechanical warfare. And yeah, mechanized he pretty warfare. much, yeah, mechanized warfare, and pretty much wrote the manuals for it, and was like the guy for for it. the United States. Yes. And was it true that in Mexico on his first battle, that was kind of the first time the U.S. military actually used vehicles for the purpose of war? Yeah. Like in battle. Yep. Because the United States was, the United States, believe it or not, we weren't the warfaring country like we, we are today. Back then, before World War One, we were, we had different little scrimmages and shit. You know, we had the Spanish-American War, the Civil War, of course, you know. But we weren't constantly at war. Like, we've been at war a lot for being a young country. Like, mm-hmm. more than more so than about any other country in the world. But back then, we didn't dump the money into it. You know, it was just, you kind of, this is working, so why mess with it? You know? And it took a lot of, a lot to get American innovation through at the time. So he was, uh. So, yeah, that's where he first got cut his teeth was in Mexico. And then after that, you know, there was a law, some laws, you know, until, you know, he went to World War One, you know, got, you know, kind of sharpened, honed his skills in World War One, come back, thought, basically thought his career was over. Right. I, I heard this, this gap between World War One and World War Two was kind of rough on him. And kind of like a sense of loss of purpose in that. But he was also partaking in the Olympics. Yeah, he was a pistol shooter in the Olympics. And he would have... This is between World War One, World War Two. Yes. And he, they said he would have placed gold, but something about... And this is a kind of a cool story. So he was an excellent marksman with a pistol. And when he went to the Olympics, they said he entirely missed the target on one shot. Well, Patton, till the day he died, said that the reason that he lost is because one of his bullets passed perfectly through one of the other holes without marking the paper. And they gave, they marked it as a miss. Mm-hmm. And that pissed him off and it kind of irritated right. him till Why, the day he died. That? So he would have placed, uh, he would have got bronze. Yeah. Which is kind of, kind of a cool story. 
But he did place fifth nonetheless. Yes, he did place fifth. Out of a hundred some. Yeah, he, he did rank fairly highly, but just the fact that he, he believed that he fucking went through the same hole and nobody else believed him. Uh, yeah, they find... didn't have high-speed cameras sitting there watching it. No. You can slow it down. <laughs> no, not, not like today. Today they could have been like, oh, yeah, he did pass it through the same fucking hole. But yeah, he was a, uh, and that's what he did on the uh, the inner year inner uh, warriors. I like to. I, I'm gonna throw this in since we're in that in between wars, World War One and World War Two. His wife was a very successful novelist, very successful novelist, and some biographers speculate that he had. Very high insecurity. Not so much with like his ability. He knew he was good at war. That was his yeah. life and purpose. And it's been well, kind of proven with what he did with the tanks. And uh, man, about to be proven in World War II. But nonetheless, this sort of insecurity of his wife, wife's success. And they, he was actually pretty pretty mean to her, not very fair to her. Mm. And during this time period actually cheated on her. Yeah. he. But that's one thing I kind of want to bring up is that when he was, uh, they said he was a very attractive man because when he, he didn't initially go to West point, but he went to Virginia. Uh, I got it right here. Hold on one second. He went to Virginia Military Institute before because he couldn't pass to get into West Point. Right. Initially, he wasn't very good in all his schooling. No, because they believe he had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And he finally did pass and go into West Point. So he was actually one of the oldest members in his West Point class. But the one thing they said he didn't have issues with when the whole schooling aspect was getting women. <laughs> so that that's where that all kind of ties into i just i yeah but well and it was also during this time he supposedly practiced his war face yes what you're talking about where he had this persona because he, he he was the same person but when it came to war and the military and being with his men he had a character so to speak that he actually practiced in front of the mirror and would rehearse and that's that's not totally strange because you know if you're a professional at a workplace or even a teacher you put on a mask so to speak yeah like you restrain yourself with certain things or try and be a certain way for the purpose of your duties so it's kind of that same way as he practiced literally a war face and also this character of who he was and wanted to be but Mm. the thing that was similar between his private life and that was his fluent fluency and profanity. Oh yeah. Yeah, what he say? He said a man should be able to to swear for 3 minutes or something like that and not be able to repeat the same word twice. I heard the only person that was just as good would be uh that drill instructor in that what's that movie um Oh, in uh uh Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Arlie Army. Yeah. He said them the too. <laughs> and it's and like apparently even during that time, uh other uh 
officials, leaders in the military and that would um, attempt to try that profanity and they just couldn't, couldn't do it. Couldn't be that smooth and keep it up. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you want, I can read a little passage from his, uh, his speech that he gave, I believe. Yeah, it was, uh, he gave it to his troops in the UK in February of 1944. And one of my favorite fucking quotes from it is no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor bastard die for his country. Yeah. And he, he was just profane. He called, uh, towards the end of the speech, he says this to his men. He said, then there's one thing you men will be able to say when this war is over and you get back home. 30 years from now, when you're sitting by your fireside with your grandson on your knee and he asks, what did you do in the Great World War II? You won't have to cough and say, well, your granddaddy shoveled shit in Louisiana. No, sir. You can look at him straight in the eye and say, son, your granddaddy rode with the Great Third Army and a son of a son of a goddamn bitch named George Patton. <laughs> <laughs> And so it, he did think very highly of himself. And his whole his whole uh, speech is like that. So he was a very, uh, very, very uh, educated in profanity. Mm -hmm. like, he, like, here's another little pass from it. We're going to murder those lousy hun cocksuckers by the bushel fucking basket. <laughs> and, and before that leading into it, it's it says we'll win this war but we'll win it only by fighting and showing the germans that we've got more guts than they have or ever will have we're not just going to shoot the bastards we're going to rip out their living goddamn guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks <laughs> that's pretty brutal yeah but that's what he's known for yeah that's why he was called old blood and guts and it wasn't just talk no. So leading into that, which actually sets me up perfect for what I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. When he started in uh, World War II, he went over to uh, North Africa, which a lot of people don't realize during World War II, there was actually a campaign in North Africa because the Germans and the Italians were, you're dropping all kinds of shit over there. I'm struggling for a minute. <laughs> we're good. But the Germans and the Italians were actually in Africa during World War II. So they uh, landed in Morocco, I believe, if I remember correctly, and went through Africa all the way to basically Egypt. And went. Uh, and when he was down there, before he got there, I guess we should backpedal a little bit. Before he got there, there was the uh, Battle of Kazarine Pass. Mm -hmm. and the Americans got their fucking asses stomped. That was the very first battle they fought in World War II in, in the European theater. And they went up against a man called Erwin Rommel. He was the general of the German forces, and he was known as the Desert Fox. Well, Rommel was the German version of Patton, just a lot more like your European sophistication, you know, not, you know. He was more, but he was... Uh, strategically brilliant when it comes to mechanized warfare because he did the same thing Patton did for the United States for Germany. He was a very 
Uh, he was one of the very beginning people to deal with tanks in Germany during World War One. Well, Patton, where he implement Patton, never published a book, as to my knowledge. Erwin Rommel did on his tactics for tank warfare and for mechanized warfare. Well, Patton read that book. So when Patton got over to northern uh, Northern Africa and was going through there, he knew what Rommel had a half-ass idea what Rommel was going to do. Yeah, he was in his head. Yeah, and Rommel had no idea he was at the very beginning. And by the time it was all said and done, Patton's the reason why the Germans got, one of the main reasons the Germans got kicked out of Africa. Well, then after that, they moved on to Sicily, which is the island off the off the coast of Italy. And this is one of the first times you can see him running into another famous general, but this was for the British named Bernard Montgomery. And him and Patton had kind of a little uh, competition the the whole the whole way through the war because there were it, a lot of politics involved, but they were wanting the British to capture certain areas and the United States capture certain areas just to make it even, I guess would be be the way. Politically fair for agreements. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, they actually had a, a race to, I can't remember, Palermo, I believe. One of the, the biggest city on uh, Sicily. And Patton ended up winning. Patton wasn't supposed to take it. Montgomery was supposed to. In which Montgomery, from what I understand, he was actually quite brilliant when it came to strategy. But not in the mechanized warfare. Yeah, I mean, he was brilliant. But at the same time, his kind of his uh, downfall was just not being as aggressive, and right. probably not a, and in my opinion, not as awe inspiring to his troops. You know, if you don't have high morale, your no, your troops ain't gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna fight have for that you. extra boost of energy. Yeah. So, next we kind of move on to the Italian campaign. So in Italy. Patton was in command of the, I believe it was the fifth army. And when they were going through there, Patton kind of implemented some rules. He wanted every man to look, if they weren't in combat, you know, to look proper, you know, <laughs> collar buttoned up, you know, proper uniform, all that. Very strict on that. And he also, uh, told his medics that there is no there would be no battle fatigue under his command which essentially was uh you know if you had if you were overly tired or you know you're exhausted or headache or puking whatever something something like that <laughs> and uh well, it was also the term used before shell shock came around yeah, and they used and shell shock was another thing the the term terminology and that was uh, the early term for PTSD, what we now know as PTSD. So, and and the reason I bring this up is because Patton was trucking through Italy, and he went and he would regularly visit field hospitals to see the men because he had extreme respect for any man that got wounded under his command or died. He he was very very. Uh, respectful of them <laughs> well one day he walked into a field hospital and there was a man there 
that didn't show any physical injury and everything else. And he asked him, said something, the conversations lost to him. I can't remember exactly how it went, but Patton ended up smacking a soldier across the face and kicked him out of the hospital. Well, that didn't fly with the people above him. And Patton was like a, a two or three star general. Mm-hmm. So the people above him were like, Hey, like, you can't because the nurses in that reported it. Yeah. yeah they were like, Hey, you can't go around smacking soldiers. Like, well, yeah, he, he was telling them if I remember correctly, that they were, um, either going to be sent to the front lines or put in front of a firing squad. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was said. Something, something about we're going to ship you straight to the front lines. I think is what, it, how he, how he worded it. And, and, but, but you got to remember Patton, he was kind of, you know, all four being right in the thick of just because he believed, you know, hey, if I die this time, I'll be reincarnated here, you know, whenever. And did he <laughs> did he truly understand anything about PTSD? No, because to him, it it didn't matter. You were there to fight a war. Right, but did he even have an understanding of what PTSD well, actually was? Because back then, a lot of it pe- wasn't super well known. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people just knew that people come back from war and they were all fucked up. Right, and that's about the extent of it. There was no real big research done into it. So, and Patton, when during World War One, that's where the uh, term got coined, shell shocked. Mm-hmm. So you got to think it that term's only like thirty years old at this point. And so there's probably been next to nothing delved into it. They're just oh, he's fucking wigging out because of the shells flying overhead or whatever, getting shot at. Right, you know. So. But he was reprimanded for that, and he was actually stripped of his command there. Mm-hmm. And he had to give a public apology unit by unit. A pub- he had to give a personal apology to the soldier and a public apology to each unit, division, whatever. They all had to stand out there, and he had to give an apology. <clears throat> well, he thought that was the end of the war for him, and it would have been. They weren't going to give him another command. But... Fast forward uh, to, say, 1943-ish, the United States and Great Britain are getting ready to invade France. Well, there was a a fake fake army that they used in Britain, and it was across from Pointe de Calais, I believe. And that was uh, the narrowest crossing between England and France and across the English Channel. Well, the Germans believe that's Hitler, especially believe that's where they were going to cross. So he had that extra fortified. Well, to play into his hand, they set up a fake army, fake planes, tanks, and some men to make it all seem worthwhile. And the man they had in charge of this fake army was General Patton. Because of the idea, he was well known by the German command as being a very aggressive general. And he was actually supposed to lead the D-Day invasion until he slapped that soldier. Mm-hmm. So the Germans already knew he was supposed to be leading it. And they all, they think they're going to come across there. So who do you put there? You put the man they believe is going to be doing the invasion. All right. So it tricks the whole German military into believing that. Well, from what I understand, even when they realized the attack was elsewhere, yeah. they, they waited a bit, but then they actually woke Hitler up yeah. to tell him, and Hitler even then said, no, the real invasion 
is going to be with Patton over yeah. here. Yeah, they <laughs> said the actual, yeah, they were saying, he said the actual D-Day invasion in Normandy was a distraction to pull forces away from Point de Calais. Mm-hmm. Because Patton was, Patton was in their heads that bad, just across the board. Well, D-Day goes on. The Americans come in. They get bogged down. Well, who are you going to put in charge when you get bogged down? You're going to give that can inspire them and yeah. boost the spirit. You're going to give a man that can fucking cut a path through Europe like it's nobody's business, and that man's General George Patton. Well, they put him in charge of the Third Army, and he runs them uh, through uh, Central France. I mean, just cutting a path just through. And they, they were actually getting irritated with him because he was pushing so far ahead. <laughs> and they actually cut his fuel supply a couple times throughout throughout the campaign, throughout the whole uh, Western Front. And why would you want to do that? Political reasons. It's, it's everything that slowed Patton down was because of political reasons. Because like you were saying before... There were agreements about who would get what city and territory and that. Yeah, and how everything would be divvied up, where the spheres of influence would be, and yada, yada, yada. So, and, which, that's all boring political shit, but it does have a, a thing to do with Patton, so that's why we got to bring it up. So he uh, gets his fuel cut and has to slow down, and then the fuel starts coming back, and he does the same thing. It's like little like sprints. He'll go as far as his fuel will take him, and then he has to stop. And then he'll go as far as his fuel will take him, and then he'll stop. And he was, I don't know. It's just, he. there's a, a scene in there, this movie. If you guys haven't watched it, you need to watch it. It's called Patton. That's what I've heard. I it, haven't seen it, but I heard it it's is, pretty good. It is a damn good movie. And, and there's a scene in the movie, which they say happened in real life. And if it did, it would not surprise me if it did, knowing, you know, kind of looking into his character, is that, there was a four way in the road and there was a truck stuck and something else. And these, you know, everybody was trying to fucking go around and it was just a cl- cluster fuck mess. Well, Patton supposedly comes up there, starts directing traffic and he's like, get that truck out of the fucking way, you know, blah, 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 going up there. And then he starts directing traffic. Like, you go. And then it stopped. Now you go, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> going up there until he finally tells somebody else to take over it and then got everything moving again. And, all this goes on, and now uh, there is a uh, the a famous battle in the Western theater called the uh, the Battle of the Bulge. Okay, some of the fiercest fighting of the whole war. The Germans launched a massive counteroffensive, and what they their plan was is they wanted to split the Allied forces in half, or damn near in half, because you had a bunch of Americans and British and Canadians in Holland, and you had Americans, British, and Canadians you know, in France. And they wanted to basically go right along and they wanted to cut a path all the way to the English Channel. And it was around Christmas time of uh, 1944. So they dropped, you know, the Germans dropped uh, airborne troops, massive tank tank assaults, the whole nine, massive air, air raids, the whole nine. And, uh, Patton actually had a feeling they were going to try something like this because in, in the words of the movie, they kind of go along. He was, he said that uh, the Germans haven't tried a winter offensive since Frederick the great. So he had a feeling tried to what 
a winter offensive okay since frederick the great so he was actually already in in a way getting stuff ready to go to that point well then they they sat him and bernard montgomery down and wanted uh one of them, like, hey, we need one of you guys to, or both of you, whatever, to reinforce it. And Bernie Montgomery's like, oh, it'll take at least a week. And Patton's like, I can do it in 72 hours. And fucking sure as shit, three days later, he was there. Mm-hmm. And where this is, uh, during the Battle of the Bulger, was the, the Battle of Bastogne, right in the middle of this. An American 101st Airborne Division was surrounded in the city of Bastogne. And they held out the whole time, completely cut off. All the, the only way they got supplies was through airdrops, but they were entirely encircled. And Patton is the reason that they got on, you know, they broke the, the chokehold on them because mm-hmm. he just pile drove right up in there and broke the, basically broke the battle of the bulge. Forced their way through. Yeah. He broke the, he broke the German counteroffensive and allowed everything to be pushed back, which is, pretty interesting really i mean you think about it because you hear hear the battle of the balls and how shitty it was and then unless you literally look into you don't know that Patton was the reason it got broke up yeah that had a good ending (laughs) yeah and then so after that he would go on and start driving back towards germany he'd fucking start pile driving again because his goal is to get to where? Berlin. The capital of uh, of Germany. Because he was wanting to get there. and he Because wa- he wanted to beat the Russians. The Russians are coming in on the east. The Americans, uh, Canadians, and the British are coming in from the west. Patton despised the Russians. Entirely. Like, with everything and he had, he hated the Russians. Yeah, I read a couple quotes of... The kind of distasteful of Russians. Oh yeah, he just he hated them. There was no, there's no other way to describe it. He fucking hated them because he he's seen them as untrustworthy. He's seen them as dirty communists. So he was wanted to beat them there. Well, once again, he was fucking pile driving. He was going to beat the the Russians by a few days or something like that to Berlin. Politics and politics got in the way. Cut his fuel, told him we're letting the Russians take Berlin. And the Russians took majority of Berlin, and Patton was the one that that came into Berlin on the west side. And it, it kind of stole his thunder because Patton would have captured Berlin. The Americans would have been there first. And who knows how that would have changed history. Just yeah. just because you would have had a, a there would have been no Berlin Wall. At that point, you know, there's just a lot of things that would have fucking would have changed because of that. This is also the point that the U.S. started Operation Paperclip. Please. uh... Where the Russians and the U.S. were taking uh, German officials and doctors and scientists scientists. and pretty much letting them changing their identities, letting them live a free life in their countries. So long as they continued their research, research and experiments in the U.S., which, <laughs> which goes into the Cold War with well, NASA. <laughs> well, and that's one thing I will say is this: uh, NASA, one of their head scientists was Werner von Braun, 
and he was a Nazi scientist that developed the V1, V2 rockets yep. <laughs> that Germany used to strike England. Yeah. So next time you think about, man, we put a man on the moon. Yeah, because yeah, of the Nazis. Yeah, because of a Nazi scientist. And, the, you know, that was kind of the space race with Russia, but Russia also had Nazis with them. Yeah, they had Nazi scientists that helped put them in the space, too. Because that's if there's one thing they were good at, it was building wild, wacky shit. Or as Hitler called them, uh, Wunderwaffe, wonder weapons. Hmm. Yeah, drastically enhanced our technology. Yeah, 100%. World War II in general did that. War does that. Yeah, war does that just across the board. (laughs) But he, uh, so go on this. The war ends in in Europe. Okay. Now here Patton is again, once again. Nothing, no war. Man, what, what am I going to do? You know? And never really truly believed he'd done enough. Well, he went and he wanted to go to war with Russia. He During the Cold War? Before then? Right after World War II ended. Okay. Like, the war ended in Europe in May of 1945 and he died December of 1945 in that span there. He wanted to go to war with Russia. So basically immediately after the deadliest war in human history, <laughs> let's go to the next war. And he said, we already have the men, the supply chain, everything over here. Let's go to war with Russia. And now some people say it's because of his, his disdain for the Russians and that he knew they were going to try and pull some slick shit. Others say just because he all he knew was war, mm-hmm. and that's all he wanted to do. Maybe a little bit of both. So, and and this is all leading up to his death. This ain't just filler or nothing. It's leading up to it. But so yeah, he wanted to go to war with Russia, and Stalin did not like uh, Patton at all, just because of that aspect. Yeah, understandably so. <laughs> so. This man that has fought in a border war in Mexico, been injured and received a Purple Heart in World War One, and has literally commanded thousands of men throughout the entirety of World War Two, dies from a car accident in yep. December of 1945. And it was actually like a slow-moving car accident. Yeah, like... 20 30 mile an hour but it was an open top jeep and pat or or it was either in a jeep or in a car whatever it was but Patton somehow got ejected from the vehicle broke his neck and so he was paralyzed from the neck down now we go into the whole aspect he was they took him to the hospital and he was alive and in stable condition in the hospital and his wife stayed there the whole time except for one moment where she went downstairs She'd only ate, ate in his room, but she went down to the hotel, or not the hotel, the hospital uh, cafeteria to get some food. Mm-hmm. And they called her while she was down there that Patton had died. So there's conspiracy surrounding this. Some say he died because of his injuries. Others say the KGB, or the early form of the Russian KGB, came in and killed him, smothered him, or whatever. And there's also another theory where 
and this one's lesser lesser thought about, I guess, or less popular, that his wife knew he was going to kill himself because he was paralyzed from the neck down, or knew that he didn't want to live. So she essentially, in a way, helped him do it. They, they don't know mm. how, don't say how, but that's just one of the other conspiracies behind it. Interesting. But it's also, and this throwing in from what i know pretty common that even if the person's supposedly unconscious you know all the families there all the relatives and all that are there in the room they could be in there for days and that they normally tend to die very soon after they leave yeah that's true whether it's you know kind of peace of mind alone whatever well and that's some people don't want their family members to see him pass either right even if they're unconscious the whole time you know can't open their eyes talk sleep in supposedly you know there's there's something to that yeah so i mean and, and i really don't necessarily have i i have a slight opinion and in my opinion the the russians killed him i why think is that just because of the way he was against russia and they probably were scared that um, a three-star general would have enough power to kind of get people behind him to start a war with Russia because Russia without a United back at the, in the, in world war two, without United States equipment was not in that time. It was better off than it was at the beginning, but. So, so do you think the Russians caused the car accident or killed him in the hospital? I'd say more kill in the hospital. I don't think even though he was already paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah, I, I, I do believe they had some, some hand in it. I don't, you know, but it's never going to be hundred percent proven. So, you know, I'm also at the same token, like he could have literally just died. He was probably going to die either way. So it sounds like, yeah. I would say he was going to, yeah, he was going to die no matter what happened. So, it, I mean, that that's kind of a interesting kind of picture on his life. So, but yeah, he, an amazing man, really. Kind of just shows the grit and determination of that generation of people. Yeah, well, especially him. I mean, not, not even, I mean, it seems like he stands out even from that generation. Yeah. But yeah, there, there is, it sounds from what I understand, kind of a complex character. Uh, his life and meaning and purpose was war. So when there was nothing, he was out of place. Yep. Didn't know what to do. Slide in securities. Didn't get along with his wife because of it. You know, there was no wartime. He had nothing to show or prove, but his wife did. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, really practice this character for war. Probably more, from what it sounded like, a little bit more so than what would be normal. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless. And the whole idea of believing in the reincarnation that, you know, this isn't just his life purpose now, but his eternal destiny, so to speak, is yeah. war. That that's a hard thing to carry. Yeah, absolutely. And hmm. then, so it is just amazing to think this, you know, one man changed the course of history and could have drastically changed it. If he had not 
got politics. Next, yeah. <laughs> because of politics and if he had not gotten in that wreck. And he only knows. Yeah. Because would he have come home and would he have ran for office? Would he have stayed in the military and retired and went peacefully into the pages of history? Or would like he, he, he'd have had to have done something, stir up trouble or do something. Oh yeah, absolutely. He would have done something. He would have done something. That's for sure. And that kind of leads me to the assisted suicide. Cause if he believed in reincarnation and that war was his purpose and he knew that he was paralyzed from the waist down, like, all right, kill me now so I can get started again. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> highly possible. My, my time here is over. I can't war anymore. Yeah. Hmm. But one thing I want to bring up about Patton before, uh, before we close and move on to our fact or weird facts, he actually, uh, there was a, a kind of a riot after world war one where soldiers were wanting paid and they weren't paid entirely. And they were actually in DC. Well, the president ordered the cavalry to go through and break up these protesters. They set up like tents and shit outside. Well, the cavalry officer that led that was general Patton. He, well, he wasn't a general at the time, but it was George Patton. Just kind of a little tidbit. I forgot to add earlier in the episode, hmm. but I thought it was kind of important. He was so, so duty bound that he would go with men that he probably fought with and run them off. Right, and did you know if he saw himself as I'm gonna engage in war, whether I got paid or not? Would he view them as, "Hey, this is your duty"? Yeah, and, and that's a, a highly saying a job. Yeah, <laughs> this is a lifestyle, really, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, to him it was. So, but yeah, yeah I figured fascinating. I'd, figured I'd add that in there. But now, uh, so since we gave you guys a kind of a breakdown on America's most Aggressive general. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll go ahead and get into our weird facts. Yeah. Well, mine um, is that apparently rats are ticklish and they'll actually laugh when tickled. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And there's actually surprisingly a handful of people that have pet rats. As opposed to like gerbils and mm-hmm. yeah, I knew a guy in uh, high school and stuff that had a pet rat. Yeah, they're so kind of want to see it. They're kind of cool. Not to YouTube that <laughs> laughing rat. Laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Show me a video of a guy tickling a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a weird fetish. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you want to talk about weird fetish? Here you go. I'm about ready to spit some fucking knowledge on you. The ancient Romans often used stale urine as mouthwash. The main ingredient in urine is ammonia, which acts as a powerful cleaning agent. Urine, be- urine became so in demand that Romans who traded actually had to pay a tax. I just don't know what to say about that. Like, to, to have to pay a tax on is to say it became extremely common. Yeah, they were making decent money at it. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, fucking nuts, ain't it? Do you want mine? No. For a decent price? Absolutely not. We have a mouthwash today that contains zero urine. Well, you know, but is it as natural? Sure. 
(laughs) (laughs) I'm not willing to try it. God damn. Well, our song recommendations. Um, Yeah, after that fucking bombshell. This is the only song I know from this person, but I like the song. It's from Henry Jameson, and it's called The Rains. (laughs) The Rains. Oh, yeah. Starts off by saying, when the rains come heavy from the north. Poetic. Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) What's yours? (laughs) Mine's uh, Three Wooden Crosses by uh, Randy Travis. Hmm. And it starts off, it's kind of a story about, it's a preacher telling a story to his congregation. And goes on about uh, telling about basically how his mother didn't die in a bus wreck on the way to Mexico. And his mother was a hooker and got turned around and came to Jesus and had him. And then he became a preacher. Hmm. It's a good song. You got to listen to it. It's pretty good. Yeah, it'd be interesting. That kind of speaks to what I was talking to you earlier about in the week. Uh, you read some of the lives of the saints from like the Orthodox Church. You know, some of them led the worst lives you could ever imagine and did a complete 180. Yeah, 100%. That sounds like that's kind of what that song's about. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> but we hopefully hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you would, please give us a follow on uh, Facebook, Twitter. Rate us. Rate us. Give us comment on something answer the question at the bottom of the podcast and hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you all in the next one have a good one